0: Hi everyone, welcome to the American Ambulance EMS podcast. Uh, my name is Dr. Danielle Campaign, and I am American Ambulance's medical director. I'm very happy to be here today with uh, two of my co-hosts. I have Dr. Patil Armenian and Dr. Sajin Bhakta. I'm gonna let them both tell a little bit about themselves, and uh, we all three work together at Community Regional Medical Center, our local uh, level one trauma center, and with UCSF Fresno. Dr. Armenian.
1: Hi, I'm Patil, um, and I uh, work with the, the rest of the group at uh, CRMC, which is our local level one trauma center in Fresno, California. Uh, and I am an emergency physician and medical toxicologist. Uh, so I see patients in the ER as well as in the hospital when they've been poisoned or bitten by something poisonous or anything along those lines. Great. Thank you. We're happy to have you here. Dr.
0: Bhakta, tell us about yourself.
2: And I'm Sajan. I'm one of the emergency medicine residents at CRMC through UCSF Fresno. And I probably work a little bit more than my attendings do. So hopefully you'll be able to provide a little bit more of the day-to-day updates from what's going on in the department.
0: Perfect. That is right. So for everybody who doesn't know about residency, so you do four years of med school, then you do four years of residency, and then you get out into the real world. And so he's doing that four-year residency in emergency medicine right now. Um, So we're going to talk about COVID. I know you guys are sick of hearing about COVID and probably obsessed with hearing about COVID because that's all we're talking about here in society nowadays, especially in EMS. And um, it's constantly changing. So as you know, things that were issued yesterday are not um, appropriate or we're ruling about today. So today, it is April 1st. It is April Fool's Day. Happy uh, April Fool's Day, everybody. So if you guys are listening to this not on April 1st, some of the things we have said might be out of date, but we're going to try our best to release this as soon as possible.
1: Who serves a million people in the valley? We do. The brave men and women of the A are the best at what they do in EMS today. The finest place in the world to be. It's right here as a part of American's family Help is on the way, got a unit en route
2: No matter the problem, when in doubt we send them out Sure as the sun rise, sure as I bust this rhyme Ten minutes or less, every call, every time This is my career path, this is what I do The double A's, red, white, and blue Get your call on, here comes American Get your lights on,
0: here comes American
2: Get your gurney on, here comes American Get your
1: gloves on,
0: here comes American
1: Get your save on
0: let's jump right into COVID. Um, We'll talk about what we know about it. What do we figured out so far? It's a brand new bug, a brand new virus. So what do we know about it, guys?
2: So we think that it is derived from a coronavirus that started in bats, and there's an intermediate host through anteaters. And we think all of this contamination and exposure happened um, in the open air markets in China. And that's kind of where the first cases were being described. And to get into the nitty-gritty of it just a little bit, the it's an RNA virus that binds to the angiotensin-converting enzyme 2 receptor on cells that are present all throughout the body, notably in the lungs, which is why we see a lot of respiratory cases. Um, but those cells and those receptors are also present in the kidney and the heart and blood vessels and throughout the body.
0: And that's why we're seeing a lot of kidney failure, organ failure, even like MIs with this virus, right?
2: Definitely. And um, just being sick, as we know from sepsis, you know, from bacterial sepsis, one organ damage can cause all the rest of the organs to have some failure as well.
0: True. Now, um, what about transmission? You know, how can I get this? Just walking down the road, am I going to get this?
2: The transmission route, as we describe traditional um, infections, is what we believe is through respiratory droplets. That means um, when you cough or when you sneeze, you generate droplets that enter the air or drop onto things around you, and that gets picked up by your hand or your face, and you touch a mucous membrane, and now that virus is now into your body. Um, There are some interesting studies trying to really determine how long this virus stays in the air, how long it stays on things around you. Um, There was one U.S. government study that came out a few weeks ago showing that the virus can stay on plastic up to 72 hours, um, on stainless steel up to 48 hours, and cardboard is really just all over the place. Um, So it's really important to take all the cleaning measures we can to try and prevent that spread, really clean everything, wash your hands, wash fomites is what we call things that may have virus particles on them um, to try and prevent that transmission.
0: So let me make sure I understand this right. You're telling me that I cough and sneeze with a spit particle that has a gross virus in it and it's gonna sit on my stainless steel refrigerator or on the wall of that ambulance. For how many hours did you say? 72 hours?
2: 48 hours for stainless steel, yeah, and 72 hours for any plastic.
0: Oh, man. All right, so we got lots of cleaning to do, guys, lots of cleaning for this team. I know that American Ambulance has already instituted that, and we're starting to clean all the units multiple times a day. People are going around wiping
1: our um, door handles. Any other tips you have for us? Wash your hands often and frequently. If you can't remember the last time you washed your hands, wash your hands. And then just I just put them under the water a little bit, or is there any... Uh... So at least 20 seconds. So yeah. that's like two happy birthday to use in a row, or even a little longer, but at least 20 seconds. I um Secret, a secret of mine is that whenever I get stressed out in the ER, and I've been doing this for like the last decade, I'll just do a really long one minute hand wash. And so everybody just thinks I'm washing my hands, but really... I'm just like calming down from a stressful case or something. And now I'm like, oh, I was right all along. That, <laughs> that long one-minute hand wash. Everybody needs more of those. And oh. it just uh, uh, just keep doing it.
0: Love it. Okay, for those of the proprietors out there in the field, you turn over that case. You turn over the ED. We want you to head straight to the sinks. I know you don't have sinks in your unit. And wash your hands because you probably used a bunch or of hand sanitizer, hand sanitizer on the wash. way. Okay. So let's jump to common symptoms. So am I going to know when I go to pick up a case um, who's got COVID virus? Actually, Dr. Amini had a great case she was going to share with us from the ER just yesterday.
1: Yeah. So yesterday, um, there was a 79-year-old patient who had called 911. Um, She called EMS for transport because she was feeling short of breath. And there was a language barrier um, with her, although her caregivers in the house did speak English. But she didn't none of them relayed to the unit that came to pick her up uh, that they had just gotten a call uh, saying that she was COVID positive. So they had just gotten off the phone with a provider who called them from public health to say, you're COVID positive, and then they then pick up the phone and call 911, don't tell dispatch, don't tell the unit that comes, that, oh, she's COVID positive. All they, all they get, all the unit gets is she's short of breath. And so they basically arrive um, to our hospital. Um, and when they're giving, you know, handoff report, none of us hear that. But of course, the good news is, and of course, my heart sank when I first heard this, because I thought, were they, you know, wearing PPE? Did they have masks on? Like, this is terrible. But the good news is, is that everybody's on it right now. And so they heard short of breath. So it turns out that the EMT and the paramedic both had full PPE on, which was goggles, mask, gown, gloves. So the full thing. So that was great. And then um, she immediately got placed in an isolation room in the ER um, where everybody also had PPE on just because they heard short of breath. And then 10 minutes in, when we find out she's COVID positive, everybody was safe. But initially, I'm going to be honest, I fully freaked out because I thought that the, you know, that unit had just transported this patient without any protection at all, just cooped up in that small ambulance with nothing, but they did. They did have PPE on. And so that's why, um, You know, you just never know. And you could have shortness of breath. You could have cough. You could have fever. Those are the common things. Less common sore throat, headaches, you know, body aches, myalgias. But we've had patients with other things. Uh, There was a patient just in the last two days that came in with belly pain. It was COVID. Uh, There are patients coming in with overdoses. They have COVID. There's patients that are pregnant and about to give birth. They have to go to labor and delivery they have COVID. So you really don't know right now in any part of the United States who has it and who doesn't. And although the common symptoms are fever, cough, shortness of breath, myalgias, sore throat, headache, there are people who don't manifest with those symptoms too, which is why I think pretty much everyone at this point who is working in patient care should be wearing at least a mask at all times.
0: Yes, it's perfect. You bring that up. You know, American Ambulance is going to everyone wearing a mask. Everyone has a surgical mask on. So if you come through administration, you go to CSR where they're packing the bags, everyone's going to have a mask on. So um, really, if you see a colleague not wearing a mask, remind them that everyone needs to be wearing a mask because somebody could look fine and be shedding virus or they could, you know, complain of their abdominal pain, complain of a stubbed toe, and really have um, coronavirus. And so it's very important. Yeah, and there
1: are, you're absolutely right. And there's so many people out there who are totally fine. They feel fine, but they have it, and they are shedding it and giving it to other people. Um, And so that's why, you know, wearing a mask is important. doesn't really matter, I think, what your call is at this point. You're going in to see, you know, someone... Like a or car accident. Like a car accident. Just assume that they have it too. You, you know, you have no idea. Um, and just stay safe. And then uh, we have an
0: expanded PPE guideline here at American that talks about, so um, the person who does have the shortness of breath, they are going to have more than a surgical mask on. They're going to have the N95s. Do you guys have opinions on N95s versus surgical masks? If not, I'll tell you my opinion on them because I have opinions on everything, as you guys know. <laughs> but my opinion is when you guys are doing an aerosolizing procedure, so that is um, an albuterol treatment, you're doing CPAP, you're intubating, you're bagging, you're putting a king tube Um you're nebulizing epi, even if it's a croup kid, you're going to use an N95. So those are high risk procedures. Those uh, Sajan talked about those droplets, those fomites get spread all over the place when you're nebulizing or aerosolizing a procedure. So you need to have an N95 at all times for that. Basically follow your expanded PPE guidelines. We want to go with whatever's written down on that paper, but just want you to know that you really need the N95 on for droplet precautions when you're within six feet of the patient. But if you're just walking around, you're just driving the ambulance, you're fine to have your surgical mask on.
2: I would say even a non-rebreather mask with such high flows, I think you're creating enough aerosolization that I think that counts. I think
1: if it involves breathing, anyone with, you know, breathing interventions, you need to have an N95 on.
0: That's perfect. And uh, it's interesting with PPE. We're all worried about conserving PPE and not running out of PPE. Um, But American is awesome, and they have plenty of PPE. Please don't feel like you need to not wear it for a case. You need to wear it to protect yourself. American cares about you and uh, cares about the people who work here. And so it's really important to stay safe and be protected. I mean,
1: I think what we talk about all the time right now, even in in this setting and then in the hospital, in the emergency department, is that you know, you can't be a hero without PPE because then you're not going to be there to take care of patients your next shift. So you got to make it to your next shift. And so, uh, so, you know, let your bosses worry about finding the masks. You wear them for right now. Right.
2: And even not even exposing other patients, but just you yourself and your family and you're going home and you're in a high risk environment treating all these patients and you're going to be going home and transmitting all of those contaminants to your family. And we want to protect your family as much as we can, too.
0: That's right. Now, let's talk about that for a second. I know there's a lot of worry in the community. Um, I know my own friends and family are like, oh, man, I don't want to hang out with you. I don't want to talk to you. There's a lot of social isolation in the healthcare field right now. I'm sure you paramedics and EMTs are feeling it, too. You know, the average person who used to want to be your friend doesn't want to touch you anymore because you're probably carrying some germs or particles around with you. So what do you guys do? What's your home routine? You work a shift, you go home, you just walk in with those dirty scrubs onto your couch. What's the plan?
1: I I actually strip right outside the laundry room, like outside in my yard, and I walk into the house like (laughs) naked and straight into the shower. I mean, I don't let anything from work come into the house anymore. Right, and that is
0: a recommendation. CDC just issued some recommendations on that um, just a couple days ago, basically saying anything, especially uh, these fomites can come in, these germ particles can come in on the bottom of our shoes because, once again, those are the plastic so they can live on. So we want to make sure all your shoes that you wear at work. And I'd even advise people who work in an office or anyway, they come in contact with anybody to t- keep those shoes in the garage, keep your work clothes not in your house, have house clothes that are germ-free and have work clothes. So I do the same thing. I strip down in the garage, I put my clothes straight into the washer, and then I head straight to the shower before I say hello even to my children. Mm -hmm. So that's mine. What about you, Sajin?
2: Yeah, I do something similar. I actually keep a second pair of shoes in my car. So as soon as I leave my shift, I just take my shoes off, put them in a box, and then take a separate pair of shoes to actually walk to my house. Um, And then I change in the garage and try to get clean as quick as possible.
0: Yeah, that's a good idea. I'm going to start doing that. The (laughs) second pair of shoes. I like that. And um, for those of you paramedics, I mean, you know, you got your work boots and you've got your work attire and work uniforms, but make sure those uniforms aren't, aren't mixing with your other laundry and are going straight into the wash. Hot water does kill this, luckily. It's not like a super bug. You know, just hot water and soap kills it. So it's just important that we, you know, a lot of people used to reuse uniforms or reuse scrubs in the olden days, but, you know, we really need to grieve the way of the past and grieve our old way of living. And this is kind of the new way of things
1: and we really got to um
0: change with uh, the new protocols and that are coming I think out that
1: just even like washing everything from work every time this is our new normal like in two months this isn't going to switch back just i think we have to do this for forever now basically because this, these are this is real and these things will probably keep popping up unless we are really careful
0: Okay. Another thing I want to talk to you guys about, see your opinions on is kind of what things you do in your day-to-day attire or dress to help limit fomites, like limit these fit particles from attaching to us and bringing them home.
2: So I normally shave every two weeks or maybe once or twice a month. And I've been shaving every two or three days now. Um, beards not only collect a lot because they're itchy and you tend to scratch them more, but um, but it prevents a good mask seal also. So especially for healthcare providers, you really wanna getting be getting the best mask seal you can get to prevent a lot of um, leakage of particles uh, around the mask. So we've been shaving.
1: All right, shave that and facial hair. I normally wear jewelry and I have really long hair and usually it's in like a ponytail or half up and now it's up in a bun the whole time and i don't wear any jewelry anymore i even took my wedding ring off um, yeah so the earrings the necklaces the watches are all fomite collectors yeah, right they no can collect wa- these no particles watches. um yeah everything collects particles uh and so really try to minimize the objects on your body as much as possible yeah
0: that's good advice for all of us as we go through this covid season and try to protect ourselves So let's jump to social distancing. Um, It's kind of a weird topic, right? It came out just, I don't know, six weeks ago. I never even heard the term before that. And then now um, some cities are blowing up, right? So we'd say, oh, did they not social distance enough? I read an article today in the LA Times saying, oh, California is flattening the curve. They must be social distancing. So do we need to still social distance, guys? What's the the opinion on that?
2: Absolutely, definitely. Um, We're hearing horror stories from not only Italy initially, but in the United States now, in New York and New Jersey and these places where their healthcare system is just being completely overwhelmed with sick patients. And the whole idea of social distancing is to try and prevent the spread at all at the same time, to prevent a lot of people from getting very sick all at once, because um, that depletes all of our healthcare resources, all of our ventilators and masks and things. When a patient comes to the emergency department and they're admitted to the hospital, um, we talked about the usage of PPE for every time you go into the room, you're supposed to be changing your PPE. Um, All of those resources are finite and we don't have unlimited resources. And when you social distance, hopefully you are spreading out the number of cases over a longer period of time and that prevents us from being overwhelmed.
0: So sadly, it's everything that America believes in, right? No football games, no baseball games, no big weddings, no bar mitzvahs, nothing that has lots of birthday parties, right? Nobody really over, I don't know, we're saying four to six people in a meeting. So right now we're filming this podcast six feet apart, just want you to know. Mm -hmm. And uh, we are social distancing even while we're doing this. So all the meetings at workplaces, you'll notice people are calling into instead of sitting right by each other. So the idea is that if you're asymptomatic, I don't give it to my buddy sitting right next to me without meaning to.
1: I mean, I know that like being in large gatherings and doing all these events, it's like it's a form of community and like showing really how much like you love each other and you want to spend time together. But interestingly, the most loving and caring thing you could do right now is social distancing. And for all of you non-believers out there, it works. The data is there it definitely works. I mean, you look at countries that have, you know, now like they have sharp drop-offs in cases, it's the ones that implemented this the fastest, because you don't know when you have it, who you're spreading it to. And so this is something that um, I'm really, you know, I'm really proud of the state of California for jumping on this quickly, and hopefully we will have better outcomes. And if you want to see some scary examples, look at I hate to say it, but Miami and New Orleans, these are really big hotspots right now. And it's because of, you know, big events that still went on, um, like Mardi, Mardi Gras and it's, it's just, it's just terrifying.
0: And we want to talk about through. Fresno
1: for a little bit. You know, right
0: now we are not seeing thousands and thousands of cases of COVID yet. Right. But we are seeing a slow uptick. I think they're in the sixties now as of this, uh, podcast. And yes, our ICU is not overwhelmed. But if you take, uh, there's a million people in Fresno County. And if just 1% of them need an ICU bed, we would not have enough, Mm -hmm. right? Because we have about 300 vents all in all of fresno county and if i do my math right i think one percent of a million would be ten thousand and we don't have enough beds for all those people no. so we got to slow this down so you guys can do this by telling your friends and families you can do this in your own friends and families like don't go visit grandma and grandpa don't go see the cousins just stay home for the next couple of weeks or what's your estimation of time guys or maybe we can't see a crystal ball but what would you say i guess until the governor says you can
1: go out i mean right now it's april 1st it's they're saying a month my prediction is at least another two months and i've heard the analogy used
0: you know they used to say let's hunker down for a blizzard we need to hunker down for the winter so we gotta think of it like a season like this is three months at least of social distancing so we're not just hunkering down for the blizzard anymore we're gonna hunker down for the season
2: yeah if you're lucky enough to not have as many cases in your community yet um just know that it's probably there and we're just not we just don't have the testing to know that it's there um just just jumping to the number of cases that we have um, in the U.S., I think as of this morning, we, we just crossed 200,000. Um, that is from a week ago, we were at 80,000. And that's mostly just because we're testing a little bit more. Um, so if you think about the testing process itself, um, you know, we're testing people as they become symptomatic. The median incubation period for this virus is about five days. So these people have already had the virus for at least what we guess is around five days and then they're going to the hospital and maybe getting a test within a day or two. So they're five or six days out from when they initially got the virus. And then the test itself is taking another five to seven days to come back. So by that point, they've already had the virus for 10 to 12 to 14 days and who knows, you know, where they've been spreading it. And then we're getting the counts once all of those results come back. So it's definitely out there that the numbers are going to jump. Um, And I think it's everywhere. And I think all the things that we're talking about, PPE and preventing and social distancing and preventing transmission is going to be really important as the number of cases start to jump.
0: And um, because American Ambulance is so worried about kids starting to jump, uh, we've started a new rule called uh, the six-foot ring. And So I wanted to share that with you and see what you guys thought about that. So basically, when you go on a 911 call, you have a patient and the primary provider, which would probably be a paramedic on an ALS unit or an EMT on a BLS unit, they're going to come out and only one person is going to engage that patient inside the ring. So they're going to gown up, they're going to glove up, they're going to put their N95 on, they're going to come in and see, hey, what's wrong? And they're going to put a mask on the patient, they're going to do source control. And then they're only going to allow someone Else into that six foot ring if they need help. Like maybe they don't need any help. Maybe this guy can walk to the gurney and can get to a, um, the ambulance by themselves. Or maybe it is a code. Maybe the patient, they need help. So then they're going to invite their counterpart in. Um, and so they're calling this a six foot ring. What do you guys think about that?
2: I like that. Um, a lot of the six foot data comes from studies where they've studied sneezing and coughing and they're trying to see what percentage of droplets make it past that six-foot barrier. And so the biggest droplets, hopefully by gravity, end up on the ground before they get somewhere six feet away. Um, so that's the, the thought behind the six-foot rule. Um, of course, putting a mask on and covering any coughing or sneezing or taking the extra precautions with aerosolizing procedures will help um, prevent a lot of the major transmission, but that's where the, the thought of six feet comes from.
0: All right. Right. Yeah, and I really like that because I feel like if we can limit the number of people actually exposed, that we preserve our workforce, and like you said, Patel, get that person back to their next shift, so we need them for the long haul. Exactly. As we're going to get more cases. All right, so let's talk about transport. What would be the most stressful thing we could do, and that would be I get the beep, 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 gotta go out, and I look down and it's a COVID positive patient. So as I'm driving, if you're the EMT and the paramedic are driving this call, what are some recommendations? Um, what should we be thinking about those kind of things?
2: So, there are guidelines set by the CDC. um, Even for a suspected COVID patient or someone who has a history or signs and symptoms and so not even confirmed yet, um, really you should be practicing all the things that we talked about. So, wearing all your proper PPE, um, maintaining that six foot ring that we talked about. And then during the actual transport process, we should be calling all of these cases in to the hospital that we're going to. Um, let them know that we have a person coming so they the hospital can uh, make sure that they have the appropriate team and bed available to isolate the patient. Um, when you're on scene, keeping the patient separated from everyone, not only you as a provider, but from their own family and not letting family be transported with the patient in the back of the ambulance. Um, when possible, you should try to keep the... EMT or the driver, if they don't need to come in contact with the patient, keep them away. If they do have to come in contact with the patient, make sure they're removing all of their PPE before they sit in their driver's seat and contaminate the rest of the steering wheel, um...
0: Yeah. And we have a great policy on that. So everybody referred to their expanded PPE guidelines that talk about this, how, you know, if you don't have to enter the six foot ring you're not, and if you are, um, depending on if they have a wall between the driving compartment and the patient compartment, if that can be shut, that is shut. So that way, and they still are going to drive with their mask on, but they'll have their gloves off, they have their gown off. But uh, you're right. We don't want to, um, and there is a negative airflow filter, like so they can turn on the fan to shove some of that oxygen or some of that air out. But these are stressful times. And just remember, we usually get infected if you're a healthcare worker when you're doffing, meaning when you're taking off your PPE, not when you're putting it on. And I think a lot of that is either nerves or we're so excited that we're done with the scary patient encounter that when we take it off, we don't be diligent. So one thing you can do is watch each other. So I know we have like a buddy system in the ER. So if I take care of a highly contagious person you could say watch me take this off and make sure I don't accidentally bump myself because say you're taking off your gown and you spill some goop on your pants well then really need to go get new pants or if I touch that to my skin so just really try to buddy up or you know have the EMT watch the paramedic and the paramedic watch the EMT take off your gear
1: and the one tip I would add is if you're forgetting what order to take things off in just remember your mask comes off last So your N95 mask is the last thing to come off of your body. So really, it's going to be gown, gloves, and then you could do, like, goggles and mask. Um, So Then you can wipe down your goggles. Yeah, wipe down your goggles and all that. Just remember, mask comes off last. It comes on first and off last. And we're doing the same math same day. So if
0: it's um, just a regular patient, yeah, you're going to put that that N95 back in your brown bag to save for the next. But remember, if it's a COVID positive patient, it's going right in the trash. If it's an aerosizing procedure, it's right in the trash. If it's a code, it's right in the trash. If it's oxygen, it's right in the trash. So basically any suspect that you're going to get particles on you, it goes in the trash. If it's just like, oh, the guy broke his toe, I wore my N95. Yeah, you can reuse it. Now, um, Sajin, you brought up testing, so who should get tested? So say I'm a paramedic and I go on a call and I'm wearing all my PPE, but then the hospital calls me and says, hey, the patient you took two days ago is positive. Do I need to go get tested right now?
2: So the guidelines are always changing, and actually our hospital just changed our guidelines too. Initially, we were testing people with uh, significant travel history or known confirmed contact. Um, Again, as the number of tests change, it's going to change and how quickly we can get these tests. Um, there's also talk of bringing in the antibody testing, which will actually be really helpful um, to see who's had you know, been exposed. If they have IgG, um, which is a marker of being exposed previously, but they don't have IgM, meaning they're not currently fighting the virus, then that's very different than someone who um, is currently fighting the virus and maybe actively shedding the
0: virus. Yeah, so for testing here at American, the current protocol right now is if, if you go on um, the, so say you go on a call, you have a COVID positive patient, but you're wearing all your gear, you're wearing your N95, your gown, your goggles, we consider that no exposure, right? You were gowned up, you're gloved up, you doffed properly, or a very, very low risk exposure. So no testing needed. I know it freaks us all out. You go home and think, oh my gosh, my throat is starting to get sore. I know it is because you just took care of this COVID positive patient but it's not. And just know that, but once you pop symptoms, so once you start getting a fever, once you mount a cough, once you mount shortness of breath, then we really need you to notify your supervisor and come get tested. Because like you said, you may not have got it from that patient you transported, but maybe I got it at the grocery store, or maybe I got it from my spouse or from somebody else. So we're worried if you start having that fever plus symptoms, come and get tested. All right, I have a question for the team. Um, Hand sanitizer. So it's everywhere, right? You walk into the store, you walk into work, you walk into every office, there's hand sanitizer. But all I keep hearing about is hand washing. And we had talked earlier about, you know, you got to sing Happy Birthday twice. What's your take? If I just keep hand sanitizing all day, is it fine? Just my quick dab, quick wipe on the palms, keep going. What are your take?
2: It's actually not everywhere. Most places are out of stock. Good
0: point, (laughs) good point. So
1: I guess when you find it, you should hoard it. I... Don't, no, don't Definitely don't hoard, don't hoard please. Um, but I think hand washing, if done properly, is supposed to be superior to hand sanitizer. It really is. But you have to actually scrub your hands for a long time. The WHO video is a really good descriptor of this. But I also understand there are many scenarios in which you can't get to a sink with water and soap. And so hand sanitizer is great. It's almost as great. Um, But I think the key things to remember is you really have to get it on all surface of your hands and wrists and you have to let it dry. You got to let it air dry for it to actually work. And the same goes with your wipes, with your bleach wipes, Clorox wipes, those purple poisonous wipes, you know, all the wipes. That surface actually has to air dry for it to work. So if you think you wipe something and it's still wet and then you start using it, it's not actually disinfected yet.
0: And it sounds like most of that drying is taking at least two minutes, which doesn't sound like very long, but when you're standing there for two minutes, it is a really long time. Yeah. To let In your hands air dry. with hand
1: sanitizer, it could take like a full minute to dry sometimes. Right. Um, but you have to give it that time to, to air dry for it to really work.
0: And for clarification, this is a hand sanitizer that has what percentage of alcohol? 60
1: percent or greater
0: okay and that is i think the standard issue perel those kind of things but sometimes the um, very touchy feely brands of hand sanitizer have less alcohol so you want to make sure you have at least 60 percent look at the label and make sure. I also want to jump to these high procedures that our medics might engage, like the aerosolizing procedure. Like, let's talk about them. You know, what are your thoughts on you've got it? You show up on scene. You've got a hypoxic patient. You know, they have pulse it's in the 80s. You put them on a nasal cannula non rebreather Like, what's your thoughts on how do I stop this spread to me? Even though I'm wearing my N95, even though I'm wearing my goggles, even though I've got my gown on, I know this is a high-risk procedure of putting them oxygen. What, what do you recommend?
2: Yeah, it's hard because those populations, the The cardiac patients, the pulmonary patients, the diabetic, obese patients are actually the ones who are most at risk for having COVID and for getting complications from COVID. Um, So, those are the patients who you may see five or six times a day, but are most at risk for getting sick. And we really need to take precautions when we're doing these aerosolized procedures to prevent that spread and then the aerosolization of the particles. Um, So, if we are doing any oxygenation, I think we should be putting surgical masks over the patient on top of the nasal cannula or non-rebreather, whatever we're using to oxygenate the patient.
0: Right. So just for clarity, so that means you're putting your nasal cannula on or you're putting your non-rebreather on and then you're putting the blue surgical mask over. And there was a great study um, issued by the CDC came out just a couple months ago talking about they did heat particles to look at like if I coughed or breathed, how much those particles and putting the surgical mask over those far decreased that. So that would help limit the exposure to your crew, to yourself and to others.
2: And that's actually another major difference between the surgical masks and the N95 masks. The surgical masks are really good for preventing spread from yourself onto others. The N95s have better external to internal um, prevention. So I think that's another reason why for these patients, we want to be using N95s as opposed to surgical masks for our providers.
0: Um, so as we wrap this up, I want to go around, as always, talk about take-home points. So what's our take-home point for COVID, for our first issue of COVID? let start with Dr. Vodka.
2: PPE. Please protect yourselves, protect people around you, protect the patients you're going to see next. Um, In high-risk aerosolized procedures, try to cover the patient over their oxygenation source as much as possible. And if you're at all concerned, you should be wearing the highest level of PPE that you can.
0: And just to clarify, that's goggles, a gown, an N95 mask, and gloves. Right.
1: Patil, I mean, I fully agree with everything you just said. I think PPE is like the number one, two, and three most important thing. Um, we do have to protect ourselves so that we can help others. And, um, and just remember that, you know, you're going home to your families and you want to keep them safe too.
0: Right. And my take on point is, of course, the PPE and the six foot ring. So let's expose as few people as possible. Let's um, let's do this six foot ring. One person, I would think about the ring is going to like the ring of fire. Right? You're going to go with your armor before you fight somebody. You're not going to go in unarmed. So you use that PPE as your armor. You jump into that ring and then you engage that patient and don't let anyone else come in unless they're wearing their armor appropriately too. Um, so thank you for
1: all that you do out there. Thanks, everyone. And um, we'll talk to you soon.
0: Thanks, everyone. Thank you.
1: podcast at AmericanAmbulance.com. Once again, that's podcast at AmericanAmbulance.com. Thanks.
2: Thank you for joining us on the American Ambulance EMS Podcast, produced by American Ambulance in Fresno, California. The views of the guests and the hosts of this show are their own and don't necessarily reflect the views of American Ambulance or UCSF Fresno. The theme song for the show is written and performed by Roshan Roach. The beats were created by Young Pear and Brett Schonwald. And I'm John Mark Bergen, American Ambulance's media producer, saying thanks for joining us. Have a great shift and stay safe out there.